0: It's the Real Roots Radio podcast, on-demand content highlighting the best information and entertainment from the Real Roots Radio team. Here's Daniel Mullen sitting down with one of today's top music makers on Real Roots Radio.
1: Welcome back to Real Roots Radio. It's my honor and pleasure to welcome Chris Eldridge of the Punch Brothers uh, to Real Roots Radio today. How you doing, Critter? Hey, I'm good, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, yeah. When Last I Saw You was in Raleigh last fall uh, for the IBMA's World of Bluegrass, and the news of yeah. this album just dropped, and you told me a little bit about it, but it definitely exceeded expectations. Uh, why don't we start at the beginning? Tell us about how the concept to do a reimagining of Tony Rice's a church street blues album came about the new album from the punch brothers is called hell on church street where did this concept come from
0: well we made the first thing i should say is we we made it um before tony died we tony was very much um alive and um and so we kind of uh, well let me back let me back up a little bit the um the pandemic had hit we 2020 was going to be a year of punch brothers um writing and hopefully recording a new album. And, and for us, you know, we tend to make albums of original music. We always have, until this one, uh, done that. And, and it, it's just kind of a, a slow, long process for us to write a record. It, it just requires a lot of days together. And, of course, uh, with COVID, especially in the very early days of COVID, nobody knew what was going on, and people didn't know how to treat it really um, very well. And so we realized, like, we're not going to be able to get together um, and do, you know, spend the time we need to spend to write a record. Um, and yet we we really should make a record. We really want to make a record. And and especially as the months kind of dragged on, um, I think we were all just feeling this kind of desperate need to be together and make music together, because it's something uh, that had been kind of a, a really core piece of our lives, you know, a, the, the members of the band since the band started and um, it was really weird to not see each other not to get to play music so so it was a big priority to still make a record but we weren't going to be able to do it the way that we'd originally envisioned so so then the question was well how what how could we make a record what what could we actually do and we, we tossed a bunch of ideas out um, but we we realized well it'll have to be covers probably um, and what how could we have a you know so it's not just a collection of songs how could we have there be a cool organizing concept something that we can really interact with um kind of uh you know artistically and and noam had the idea of of doing church street blues now if i I should back up even more in 2019 um we did a set uh, Punch Brothers did a set at the Rocky Grass Festival out, out in uh, Lyons, Colorado. Rocky Grass is put on by the same people who put on t- the Telluride Bluegrass Festival, which which Punch Brothers, we play Telluride every year. And and we just played Telluride, um, you know, five weeks before Rocky Grass. Um and so, so we wanted to do a, a slightly different set for for Rocky Grass, not just play our original stuff and do something a little more bluegrass themed. So we we did a set that we built as Punch Brothers plays and sings bluegrass, which was in itself like a kind of nod in name, at least to the Tony Rice record, Tony I mean, Rice plays and sings bluegrass. We we're such we love Tony, <laughs> you know, he's he's one of the biggest heroes. You know, there's none bigger actually, and and so. Um, for that we decided well what how, what could we do it was the same question uh and we we decided well if we're going to do kind of a bluegrass thing rather than just playing a bunch of songs maybe let's cover a record and and what record could we cover and and we kind of tossed around some ideas and somebody said what about church street blues and that seemed like a perfect uh, solution because it's you know it's really one of the greatest records ever i mean it definitely on my my um, list of records to take to a desert island, I, you know, I have no idea what what the records would be, except that I know that Church Street Blues would be one of the records. I couldn't <laughs> tell you any others, but I can tell you right now, absolute fact, that Church Street Blues is going to be one of the records I take. And so, we we all have that relationship with the record, and and it's you know everybody in the the bluegrass community knows that record, and it's just Tony um, by himself uh, playing. Uh, guitar and singing, with the exception of you know Wyatt joined him on rhythm guitar on, on you know a couple songs, but um, so we thought this is a great this is a great canvas this is a great um, you know chance for us to kind of play these songs and, and be ourselves um, and and so that's what we did we kind of got this this set together for Rocky Grass really pretty quickly um, I mean we did it that afternoon kind of arranged the the songs. And it was really fun. The audience loved it because they all loved the record. And and, okay, so all of that backstory, which I probably should have given you first, um, then 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 it's the pandemic. It's like, what record are we going to make? How how are we going to do this? And and we thought, well, Church Street Blues. That was so fun at Rocky Grass. Um, And this would be a really exciting chance to get in there with the music and spend a little more time um, because we knew that we would, you know, we'd be able to pot up um for for you know a few weeks to make this record um but but we weren't going to be able to get together before then so, so we would have to imagine arrange record do the whole thing in this i mean it was like it was like two and a half weeks i think um and but we felt like that was enough time to to kind of get in with these songs and kind of really try to um you know interact with them Interact with these songs with the same spirit that Tony interacted with them, because you know his record is also a record of covers, and he transformed those songs very much from what they were before he got his hands on them, and 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 so that was kind of our idea is 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 that you know the best way to pay tribute to Tony um, is not to try and play these songs the way he played them, but to then take his versions and kind of reimagine them uh, or, or rather reimagine them in kind of the way that we would, uh, and that, that would be kind of just this next thing. And, and, and we were really excited to share it with Tony because, you know, he was, he was, um, kind of a hero and, and friend to all of us. But for me in particular, he was very much my mentor. I mean, he, he kind of took me under his wing when I was about 19, 20 years old. And, uh, you know, I went, stayed with him at his house and, Rode cross country with him. Rode shotgun in his car, you know, driving to Rocky Grass. Actually, one year and from North Carolina, his place in North. And so, and, and one of the things that Tony was always telling me, the, the thing that he was most insistent about was that the very, the, the most important thing of all in music is to be yourself and, and to lean into what you do uniquely. What what makes you unique? What what do you do that nobody else does? That's the most interesting um valid worthwhile thing that you could do as a musician is to be true to that so so um it was a very explicit teaching from tony and so we we um we really wanted to honor him by kind of doing that with this record and and, and we were we were so excited to share it with him um you know we made it uh, before he passed but it wasn't we didn't hadn't you know it wasn't mixed yet and uh and then he, we got the horrible news on christmas day 2020 that that uh or i guess it was the day after christmas but he died the day before unexpectedly and it was it was it was heartbreaking and tragic
1: uh, you mentioned rice's advice about you know being yourself in your musing it in in your music and creating your own voice um I know a, another uh, hero of your guys's that was you know, Tony's one of his mentors along the way was J.D. Crow. and I I spent oh, yeah. a lot of time with Crow before he passed away, and uh, he told he told me that uh, advice he gave to everybody in his band is pretty much the same advice that Jimmy Martin gave him when he joined up as a teenager. He said he wanted to play everything like Earl Scruggs, and he said yeah. uh, Jimmy told him he said you can't beat a man at his own game. And exactly. it stuck with him his whole life. He's like, you know, Jimmy set, told him, I'd hired you to be you. I didn't hire you to be Earl Scruggs. And um, if you play just like Earl, the best thing someone's going to be able to say to you is that you almost play exactly like Earl Scruggs. They won't say yeah. that you play like J.D. Crow. And he said, you know, as a young man, he kind of took that to heart. And that was kind of something that he looked for in his band, which, I mean, everybody knows uh, about Tony's formative years with the New South. So it's amazing how, you know, you see that type of a message getting passed down. I I think it's uh, it's a bad habit that we all get into, especially in the bluegrass community, is to play it exactly like someone else played it. But if you look, you know, Jimmy didn't play it like anybody else. Crow, he played it his own way. Rice did things his own way. And now here we are in 2022, and you guys are doing your interpretation of these songs. Um, You mentioned your mentorship and and your uh, kind of apprenticeship, I guess you will, uh, under Mr. Rice. How did that opportunity come about and what were some other lessons and experiences that you had um, while working with Tony Rice? It was while you were in college, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. So I went to college at uh, Oberlin College in northeastern Ohio. And uh, at Oberlin, there was a uh, they take the month of January off uh, for they called it winter term. And the deal with winter term was um, it, they would give the chance, uh, they give students the chance to pursue projects, um, academic projects or, or self growth projects that didn't really make sense during the course of the school year. But, but it, everything was institutionally supported. Like there was this month where, where, where it was like everybody at the school, every student had to come up with something uh, and have it approved by an advisor. Um, and it, like, I'm going to go work on, you know, whatever it would be, um, during this winter term. And so I, my kind of dream thing was, uh, I was thinking like, what what could I do for winter term? And the, the dream thing would be to study with Tony Rice, but it just seemed absurd to me. Um, you know, I actually knew Tony, you know, because my father, you know, Ben Eldridge, who, was in the seldom scene for many many years. Um you know, it was old buddies with Tony. He played on Tony's California Autumn record and they were friends. So I kind of knew uh Tony growing up. But but I still thought it was just insane. Um and I was talking to a buddy of mine uh and he was just saying I was like yeah, that's what I'd like to do but it never happened. And, and my friend said, "Don't you, don't you know him? You know him, right?" And I was like, "Well, yeah, a little bit, but it's you know, he, that you can't Tony's not accessible. You know, you can't do that sort of thing. He's like, you're crazy if you don't at least call him and, and ask. And so I, I kind of realized, you know what? He's my friend's right. I should call him. And uh, I called and Tony, Tony just said like, yeah, that sounds great. Come on down to the house in Reidsville. And, uh, and and we'd kind of, we'd kind of bonded. Tony and I'd gotten to be a little closer Um, like the, in that previous year, you know, we, we hung out at Merle Fest all weekend, and I was just kind of we we were we were really hanging a bunch and, and got along real well. And so this was kind of following up on that um, a few months later. But it was it was remarkable, you know. I went down there, and we just spent we didn't play music together at all. not, not once did we pull the guitars out and play tunes, uh, or he wasn't showing me stuff about the guitar. It none of it was about guitar playing not at all. It was all about, um, music. So we would sit in in his basement and we'd listen to music and we'd talk about music and we'd talk about musicianship and we'd talk about why we wanted to be musicians. And, and we'd talk about what it, what it meant to be a great musician. Um, all, all these deep lessons, you know, at, at that point in my life, you know, I was 19 years old and, and, and I kind of, you know, I was like a young man, you know, and, and, Trying to be like this young buck, this like great picker, and and Tony, you know, was really adamant that like it doesn't ma- that doesn't matter. Well, the only thing that matters is he's like it's cool, it's great, you know, work on it. But 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 where it's really at is creating beautiful music, creating profound music, or not profound, I don't want to say profound, but creating music that um, uh, with your fellow musicians that is pleasing to the ear, that someone else can listen to it's going to take them out of the doldrums of their lives you make something that's so kind of compelling and, and present and and heartfelt um with your fellow musicians that that it's it's worthy of, of someone else's attention worthy of them kind of transcending their their normal experience like th- it can be this this be- you can create something that can give uh, someone uh, an escape and 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 that was um you know, it's, it seems pretty obvious now, but that's just not where my head was. And I, I think for a lot of young musicians, a lot of people who are that age, you know, you're trying to really learn your instrument. Um, you're, you're just learning a lot. And I, I think like the finer points of, of music maybe get lost a little bit. And and so, and Tony was, was very, um, he just really helped me, um, change my perspective maybe a little bit earlier than it, uh, would have naturally. I mean, I think we, as we get older, we all kind of, Start to see that sort of thing, but Tony, Tony really just took me aside and we talked about it, and and uh, and he was he was very explicit about that. And then the other thing that he was very explicit about was was the importance of being yourself, because I, I was very much a disciple of his at that time. It, it, you'd never know it if you heard me play guitar now, but I could. I mean, I was really good at playing in Tony's style back then, you know. And um and and he kind of said that same thing that, that Crow said. He said. You know, you can't you can't beat me at my own game. I, I've already done it like you can do that, but it's not going to be as good because I, I, I did it first, you know, and uh, and that was real. He said, you got to You got to figure out what you can do. He said he said my um, you know, if I sound like an individual, um, which obviously Tony sounded more individual than anybody um you know he said it, it it just all kind of was a result of inability to sound like Clarence White he said when I was a kid I wanted to sound exactly like Clarence White I tried and tried and tried I wanted to be Clarence White I wanted to play like Clarence and so at a certain point I just realized that I couldn't I couldn't sound like Clarence White there was stuff Clarence could do I just couldn't do but in in in, in that I discovered what I actually really could do Yeah. and then you kind of go from there and become yourself and so that 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 uh that advice really rang rang true uh for me and and for for all of us in punch too you know i think as a band um you know we we try to honor that that spirit of like you know what is it that we can actually do and so we wanted to kind of bring that spirit to this this beautiful perfectly curated collection of songs that tony did and and um and kind of interact with the music um in that way which which for us was kind of almost the most respectful uh way we could treat those songs um yeah
1: the you mentioned the track listing on church street blues and one it 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 perfectly encapsulates tony as far as a group of songs more than probably any other record he did because so many others would be you know, maybe predominantly bluegrass heavy or they might be more uh, lean more towards the singer songwriter side of things. But the songs on this record really kind of um, make such a great mosaic of Tony's influences yeah. and what he was all about, um, which made it I think it kind of perfectly suited itself for a reimagining by a band like the Punch Brothers, whose interests and influences are so varied and and are so across the spectrum Um, But one challenge that I'm curious to learn about is for a band that does predominantly do deep dive original material to come to existing material and still bring that spirit of uh, innovation and invention. um, What were some challenges
0: that came along with that? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I think, you know, especially with uh, with Church Street Blues, you know, those songs and those performances are so iconic. You know, they're, they're so iconic. And so, you know, it, there's a real temptation. I mean, especially for me as the guitar player too, you know, like I know how all those songs go. I know all the chord voicings Tony used and, and all that. So it was it was kind of tricky at times to, um, to not do that because cause to me, it feels like oh, this is what this song is. You know, if you're playing house carpenter, you got to play this, you know, particular chord voicing that Tony used. Um, but I, you know, so it was it was kind of a constant negotiation of, um, uh, you know, what Tony's arrangements were. Um, how we weren't going to necessarily do that. Um, but you know, rather than it rather than it being about what we weren't going to do, I, I think I think the main thing is there's an opportunity to shed new light on a song. So some of these songs. Um, Lyrically, are really sad. the the the, the most obvious one uh, to me is um, oh, why am I blanking on it? Beats of London," the third song. Yeah, you know, and you think about the way that uh, the song was written, and and basically the way that Tony played it. It it the chord changes are essentially Paca canon, um, but but the lyrics is very sad. It, it's kind of painting all these really down and out characters. Um, who are just kind of forgotten, um, and, and it's they're they're just kind of they're kind of living in the the twilight of, of the world, and everybody's kind of forgotten about them. It's a very kind of sad and lonely uh, picture that's painted in that song, and yet the music is pretty happy, um, which is you know that's like classic bluegrass. You know, you think yeah. about most old you know think about any Bill Monroe song, and 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 uh, you know the lyrics are often pretty angsty and dark uh but the music obviously is joyful and and buoyant and that's so so we thought well maybe maybe we could actually um underline um what the lyrics are saying uh with with the music maybe maybe we can kind of start uh deconstructing the songs and kind of reharmonizing them um in ways that kind of that, that kind of underline some of those feelings Um, a little bit more musically. Another song we did with was, was um, Church Street Blues, which is also itself kind of a song about a drifter. You know, Norman Blake wrote that song and it's about a guy who's in Nashville, just a musician. um, who just kind of is questioning, I think like his choices of being a, you know, just a Nashville musician wants to be back home in his feather bed. Um, But, and he's just kind of a, a drifter in Nashville plays guitar and, and um so feely had the idea to, to actually change the time signature for that song um you know i think it was important that that be kind of a, a thesis statement for the album like you put the record on you realize okay this isn't going to be just us playing tony's versions but but with a band um you know that was one component of it but the other component uh that is more significant i think is is that uh you know, the guy in the song, the character in the song is kind of adrift, you know, it's not a person who's like feeling really grounded. If you listen to the lyric, it's somebody who's kind of adrift and and kind of playing it in that time signature. Um, it's a little bit unusual. We're not used to hearing music in five, um, at least in 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 America. The, there are other cultures where, you know, like world music, where that's the most normal thing in the world. But we're not really used to hearing that sort of thing. Um and so, so just, just hearing it that way, I think, kind of makes it feel a little bit untethered. And it's very organized, you know. It's it's very um, the the way that song is arranged is has a lot of organization to it. But but it feels kind of untethered, and that was kind of part of what we wanted to um, get across. So so the, I think sometimes just looking to the songs themselves and, and saying saying to yourself like is there another way that i could kind of highlight um you know what what this song is about or what it's saying how could i kind of view this uh this in in another light and and so that that winds up being kind of a guiding principle a lot of times
1: Or, or even like the way you guys put like a almost a hard drive and honky tonk approach to the jimmy rogers tune any old time which sounds yeah a lot different than it's traditional in spirit but the uh approach you guys took to to that song uh is quite different than rice's arrangement
0: super different and that one was you know originally that was one that arrangement playing it that way kind of and and then the final track from the first time we played it in that manner to to that track that got recorded was probably like 45 minutes i mean that was the most <laughs> spontaneous one of all because um, we were going to do it like sort of like the andrews sisters um you know uh in kind of close harmony like three-part harmony um you know kind of in that you know 1920s 30s kind of swingy kind of kind of thing um and we were doing it and it just didn't feel right it just didn't feel like super honest it, it felt like it was going to be a little um you know Fay or something like that and so we um we just tried something out we were trying things out and we kind of hit upon that feel that sort of like hard hard drive and honky tonk thing and um and there you go that was that, was that. We, we were just like yep this feels good we did three or four takes of it and that was the track
1: what do you hope that maybe new fans of the punch brothers can learn or or, or glean from uh, the Tony Rice legacy by enjoying Hell on Church Street.
0: Oh well, I hope that I, I hope that just anybody who hasn't listened to Tony, I hope they just check out his his entire catalog. I mean, Punch Brothers would not exist quite simply uh, without Tony Rice. I mean, he he was the great architect of modern American string band music. I think his influence touched so many different sides of what modern um american string band music can be um, you know from from jd crow in the new south and the rounder 0044 record to his work with david Grisman and of creating you know playing this instrumental music that scope was whose scope was really broad which kind of you know laid the groundwork for guys like Bela fleck and you know mark o'connor all that, that kind of crew which those guys definitely um, are kind of our precursors. We're we're kind of more directly in their thing. And then and then he made these beautiful singer songwriter records that I think uh, laid a template for Allison Krauss and Union Station. Um, you know he just he, he was this incredibly influential musician. Um, who made these really wonderful records um, that kind of just defined a bunch of um, directions in acoustic music? I mean, they set the gold standard, and that gold standard still, um, you know, even if you have other people who kind of also rose to a, a similarly high level, no one's ever surpassed um, Tony. Um, not that it's a thing; one thing has to be better than the other. But but I think that the point is that he was just he was just this gold standard. He set the gold standard for so many things, and um, yeah, we, we. So the more people who listen to Tony's music, and the more people who can discover that for themselves, and then carry it with them in their lives, I mean, man, I'm I'm jealous of you all. <laughs> you know, it's like it's awesome. You got a good, you got a good, uh, you got a good lifetime of music listening out of you
1: you guys are touring in support of hell on church street and the second leg of the, the punch brothers hell on church street tour starts this coming Monday, Valentine's day in Columbus, Ohio at the Southern theater. Are you guys playing the record in its entirety on this tour? What can folks expect if they come out to celebrate Valentine's day in Columbus on Monday?
0: Yeah, we, um, we are playing, uh, most of the record and who knows, we may play the whole thing, um, you know, the set list um can certainly vary. Um, but yeah, we're gonna be focusing on on that record. But also um it's just so nice having the band back together after we've been <laughs> apart for so long that we're just we're kind of enjoying um digging through our back catalog and, and playing some songs, some things that we haven't played in a really long time. Um and uh yeah, it's just it's just I'm, I'm I'm so tickled to be with the band because because those guys are like my brothers and um, you know it's it really we've been together for a long time. It's kind of a family. Um, but they're also, you know, I don't there are no musicians in the world uh, that I admire any more than my bandmates. Um, so it's it's a real joy and privilege to be out and do it and, and we're just kind of kind of revel revel in the experience and and hopefully you know, and include uh everybody there it kind of just winds up being one big experience between us and the crowd so i'm looking forward to it also i have to say the southern theater is is truly one of one of our favorite venues um really in the world Uh, the southern is an exception it's an amazing place like columbus ohio um is very lucky to have have such a beautiful room i mean it just sounds great in there we love playing music in that place
1: the Punch Brothers, the five of them are having a party at the Southern Theater on Monday, yeah, man. and we're all invited. So uh, learn more uh, about their concert and all their upcoming appearances and the new album at punchbrothers.com. Uh, they're going to be in Columbus on Monday, Valentine's Day, February the 14th, the Southern Theater. And who knows? Uh, Ohio might bring a, a crank their energy up to a whole other level if Joe Burrow wins the Super Bowl the night before. <laughs>
0: That's right. That's right.
1: Thank you so much for joining me on uh, Real Roots Radio today, Chris. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Daniel. I always love getting to speak with you. So thanks, thanks for having me. Everyone
1: has time for good music.
0: You got time to breathe. You got time for music.
1: The Daniel Mullins Midday Music Spectacular, weekdays ten to noon on Real Roots Radio.